Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. You're listening to Soundside. I'm Libby Denkman. When I opened my DoorDash app the other day, there was a pop-up waiting for me. It said, quote, new Seattle regulations will significantly increase the cost of facilitating delivery. And as a result, we are implementing a $4.99 fee for all orders placed in Seattle. Ouch, right? It made me think twice about whether I really needed that bond me. That fee represents the latest salvo in a struggle over how gig workers are paid in the city. Starting during the pandemic, Seattle's city council has approved a series of labor protections for delivery app drivers who work for companies like Instacart, Uber and DoorDash. An ordinance requiring a new minimum pay per mile and more during orders took effect on January 13th. And delivery app companies? They really hate this new law. Seattle businesses have already missed out on more than $1 million in revenue. And that's just on the DoorDash Marketplace platform. And that's looking at only about a two-week time span. That's Anna Powell, government relations manager for DoorDash. DoorDash published a short report on Tuesday claiming that in just the first two weeks after implementation, the higher minimum wage for Seattle drivers caused a 30,000 order drop-off. Powell also says that the increase puts delivery drivers far above the city's minimum wage of $19.90 an hour. Dashers in Seattle earned on average $25 an hour before the ordinance went into effect. We're now paying dashers, we're required to pay $26.40 per hour, but that's before mileage and before tips. DoorDash and other companies are fighting in the court of public opinion to have the law overturned, while local restaurants and gig workers grapple with added fees and falling order numbers. The situation has some questioning if this minimum wage increase is doing what it's supposed to do, creating better conditions for local gig workers. We're going to talk to a gig worker in just a few minutes who says, yes, the law is improving her life. But first, GeekWire managing editor Taylor Soper has been all over this story, and he joins me now. Hi, Taylor. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So we talked about Seattle's new minimum wage for hourly workers on our show last week. It bumped up to around $20 an hour on January 1st, less for smaller companies. Uh, But that doesn't include gig workers, delivery app gig workers. Taylor, why is there a separate minimum wage for Seattle gig workers? Well, gig workers are in their own class, given that they're not considered or treated as traditional employees. And this has been a long-running debate since companies like Uber and Lyft and food delivery companies like DoorDash and Grubhub uh, you know, became popular um, over the past decade and use these drivers, these delivery folks um, to help run their business, but don't classify them as employees. And so over the years, there's been momentum growing um, from various groups um, to provide more protections uh, to these workers. And Seattle and New York City are two of the first uh, cities in the nation to pass and now implement these types of worker protection laws, specifically with minimum wages that apply to gig workers delivering food. So this package of city legislation, it's called pay up. It was approved in 2022. 
What has it done to the minimum wage for gig workers in Seattle? Where does that sit around now? Well, that is a complicated uh, question that there is no clear answer for that yet. So the pay-up legislation encompasses a number of ordinances, some for uh, sick leave and some other worker protections. But the one that is causing uh, quite a bit of debate and uproar from various stakeholders is this minimum wage ordinance. And that went into effect last month. And so we've had a little over a month of that. And I think it's important to separate the actual ordinance and the minimum wage it sets for companies like DoorDash and Uber Eats and the response from these companies, which was to implement this $5 fee on every order that consumers make. And so when we when I'm having these conversations with folks, it's just important to say, okay, there was this legislation and then there was the response. Mm -hmm. And some folks will say, well, DoorDash, Uber, they could just eat the cost of the increased expenses uh, that they're having to spend on labor. But they've decided to apply a fee to consumers and that's caused a whole shakeup of the economics of how food delivery works in the city. Yeah. So whether or not there was um, a choice here, right, like the uh, implementation of new requirements for the pay of gig workers didn't necessarily mean that DoorDash and Instacart and Uber needed to apply these fees. But in their calculation for their business, they're saying that they did think that that was necessary. Um, They're arguing that the minimum wage for gig workers now sits around $26 per hour, which is significantly higher than the citywide 1997 minimum wage. I mean, that does sound like a big increase. What, What are people that support pay up and the city legislation saying about the effects of this change? From the driver's perspective, it's I'm getting mixed signals. Some say they aren't seeing much change in their work or their pay. Some are saying that they are getting paid more per order, which is what this legislation is designed to do, but they are not seeing as much work. And so it's unclear if the companies are doing anything in terms of limiting the amount of orders available to drivers or what is going on here. More broadly, experts will say that for any policy like this, we need more time. We need more data to really analyze the impact of this. Um, You know, one month is not enough, but you are hearing a lot of complaints, right? I think there's complaints from consumers when you want to order a $12 burger and it suddenly costs 25 or 30 to get it delivered with this added fee. Uh, So consumers are complaining, consumers are leaving the apps. That in turn decreases demand for the restaurants. Some restaurants rely on these delivery apps. Uh, One company I talked to said they had 30% of their total revenue tied to delivery apps, Mm. and they've seen a substantial drop-off in the past month. And their hands are tied, right? They, they, (laughs) They rely on the apps to drive businesses, but if consumers are not going to those apps it's kind of out of the restaurant's control. And then you've got the drivers themselves, which I think it's still unclear what the exact impact is on their overall pay um, because of this new fee that the companies have implemented. So it's a super nuanced 
discussion going on. I think we need more time to let this play out. But clearly, the companies are fighting back and they're not happy with uh, this new law. Yeah. I mean, DoorDash came out swinging with this report out on Tuesday that you reported on. We're going to talk about that in a second. There's been some other changes, too, that the companies implemented once the pay-up legislation took effect, right? I mean, I'm hearing about changes in tip lines, things like that. What what else has been going on? Yes. So Uber and DoorDash also, but Uber specifically said it removed a upfront tipping feature for Uber Eats orders in Seattle. So in the past, when you were going on your phone, making an order, it would prompt you to tip at the beginning or while you were making that order. But now that's moved to the end of the transaction, I think until after you get your food, um, apparently to basically, I would assume to dissuade, dissuade tipping in a way. Um, tipping, or to make it kind of feel like it's not part of the order. Like, exactly. you know, it doesn't add on to your decision whether or not to order that burger. Precisely. And, and tips are not counted toward the minimum payment according to the Seattle legislation. And so there's the the tipping mechanisms that are getting tweaked. And we've seen this happen in New York City, which passed its own minimum wage legislation a few months prior. And then we can't see or know what the platforms are doing in terms of controlling the amount of orders, which drivers get to see what orders, how many orders there are overall. And so there's changes happening on the company side that we're not able to see in terms of what the drivers are able to uh, see in terms of their available hours and stuff like that. So um, a lot of, I think, confusion still exists out there, which is why we need more time to assess the actual impact on workers. I think the companies and some other critics of the ordinance are, are calling these unintended consequences. Well, are these unintended consequences from the ordinance or is it from the fee that's been added by the companies on the consumer? And how long are these fees going to be in place? DoorDash told me that there there are no plans to remove this $5 fee. What is that going to do to the economics of food delivery? Are consumers going to continue to not use the apps? I think maybe the first time you see that big fee, you say, okay, I'll just pay it this time. But I don't think it's it's less likely that you'll keep doing that, especially if you don't want to keep paying that big fee. What's that going to do to restaurants? Are restaurants going to have to you know, let go of staff because they're losing a big chunk of revenue? Mm. And then for DoorDash and Uber, are they okay with losing all this demand and revenue from a city like Seattle? I think they are worried about this setting precedence between Seattle and New York City. I don't think DoorDash would feel great about every other city, uh, city councils, thinking about doing something similar. And they're clearly not only sending a message to Seattle lawmakers, but I think sending a message to the rest of the nation. I'm talking with GeekWire managing editor Taylor Soper about his coverage of the Seattle delivery app Minimum Wage and its impact on local businesses and what these delivery app companies like Uber Eats and Instacart and DoorDash are saying about the legislation. Taylor, I mentioned earlier that DoorDash has come out with this new report. Uh, It's not a fan of the minimum wage change in Seattle. What kind of claims are being made in this report and what's the response been like? So DoorDash this week has said that in a two-week period after the ordinance was implemented, it saw 30,000 fewer orders than what they expected. 
Now, I tried to follow up with them to get a little more context on that number. You know, does that mean uh, uh, far fewer orders? You know, or do they usually have 50,000 in that period? Do they usually have 300,000? But I wasn't able to get more specifics in terms of context on that data. And that is one thing we should be aware of as we see these numbers coming from the companies. Clearly, they're putting these numbers out to help defend their argument. Um, but I think bottom line, clearly there is lower demand coming into these delivery apps driven by this fee. And that's having an impact on the restaurant owners. You'll, you've been seeing a lot of different stories out there and complaints from, from restaurant owners and operators saying how they're just fed up and they don't like this ordinance. And again, it's like, okay, do you, do you not like the ordinance? Do you not like the company's decision to implement the fee. And I think there's also a lot of negotiation between the restaurants and the delivery platforms in terms of how much cut companies like DoorDash and Uber take from the restaurants. And so it's, it's, it's a really fascinating situation right now. It plays into a larger conversation about how we classify the workers who are doing these deliveries, either as independent contractors or traditional full-time employees. It plays into, you know, the business models of these newer tech companies and and all the different stakeholders here. And then of course the consumers like us who are, you know, have become used to ordering food and uh from these apps and sometimes getting big discounts and not even paying yep. any fees. And all of a sudden we're we're getting um this new form of of what it looks like to to order food. And maybe we'll just go back to uh how we used to do it and pick the phone or, or walk down the street and, and pick it up at the restaurant. How dare you, Taylor? That sounds <laughs> that sounds so much harder than what we do Very today. Very inconvenient. <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. It gets to the center of this business model, right? And I think that supporters of PayUp argue that all along, these companies have not been paying workers a fair wage for the delivery work that they do. And that leads me to have questions about that $5 fee that has been added on since PayUp took effect. You know, was that necessary for the business model? Does that represent a realistic, necessary increase in order to translate the true cost of delivery, delivering your delicious lunch to the consumer? Or is that a way to gouge consumers off the back of a new law that people will kind of look askance at and say, oh, this is the law's fault? I mean, businesses like Uber, businesses like Netflix, all these sort of new Internet businesses, they're not so new anymore, but, you know, go with me on this, have famously had business models that were loss leaders for a long time in order to build their customer base, add more customers, you know, be unprofitable for a long time. But it didn't matter because they gained this competitive edge in the marketplace. And then there's been a correction. Netflix is raising its fees. Uber is raising its prices. Is this just the natural correction that has to take place in the delivery driver market? Libby, I think those those initial questions you were asking are, are the key questions to ask uh, when we assess what's happening here in Seattle in terms of the cost and that $5 fee. Is that is that how much DoorDash and Uber need to help cover these increased labor costs they have? Is this part of an economic decision or is this a political move to get some shock value 
to force restaurant owners to stand up and say, we don't like this law to have consumers complaining to the city council about how they can't use these apps anymore because they're too expensive. And then, yeah, I think DoorDash, you know, they just reported their fourth quarter revenue of $2.3 billion with a B, up 27% year over year, yet they're still taking a net loss of $156 million. So they're still not profitable. And to your point, uh, particularly in these last couple of years, more pressure from public markets, investors on these large tech companies that have traditionally been loss leaders, as you described, to become profitable and to actually <laughs> turn profits. And so I don't think it's maybe as simple as it may have been in the past for a company like DoorDash to say, okay, let's just adhere to this ordinance. Let's just cover these costs. We need to get more customers. We need to build our market share the market macro market forces may be playing a role here in terms of their decision to stand up against this law and say basically we're not we don't agree with this ordinance and we're going to pass the fee on to the consumer yeah i mean interest rates are up venture capital is not as free flowing we've seen a huge contraction in a lot of places and um, businesses like DoorDash and others might be tightening their belts in response and timing wise it also coincides with this controversial law in Seattle that they can score some points on. I'm not saying that that is necessarily what happened, but that is, you know, one of the possibilities for the behaviors that we're seeing here and the choices that have been made. Um, Taylor, you also reported on some nationwide uh, potential for changes to the rules to how gig workers are treated, um, whether they are treated as workers or as contractors. Anything else you want to add about the future of gig work in our economy? I think this is a really important topic and it matters to so many people. I think just even here in Seattle, you've got drivers who rely on these services for income and you've got consumers who may not be able to go to the restaurant or, you know, walk down the street and pick up food and they've come to rely on these apps to provide them with food and meals. And so I, I think when when this model gets shifted, it's having an impact on so many different stakeholders, not to mention the restaurants and the restaurant workers. Um, so, and, the, and, and yes, to your point, I think it's part of this larger discussion. There does seem to be some momentum toward classifying independent contractors more as employees. There's a recent rule announced by the U.S. Labor Department that could push the country in this direction. It will certainly confront some pushback from the companies like Uber and DoorDash who have long lobbied against legislation that would classify their drivers as employees. Yeah. So time will tell. I think, again, we really need a little bit more time to see the impact of this ordinance and what the companies have done with the fee on workers. Because this, again, this is, this was about protecting workers. And it's not quite clear if this ordinance is going to help workers based on the response from the market players. So we'll see in the meantime, It'll be interesting to see what happens with consumer behavior 
and restaurants, and maybe there'll be some changes. Maybe there'll be new competition, new companies, new delivery companies entering the market. Uh, we'll see. So definitely a super fascinating um, debate going on right now, and we'll see what happens as 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 more data and more analysis is is made available. Or as Taylor suggests, maybe you use your own two feet or your own <laughs> your own vehicle or public transit option to um, to go pick up that food for now. Um, GeekWire Managing Editor Taylor Soper, I really appreciate uh, the conversation and, you know, tackling some of these bigger picture questions about gig work and delivery app companies. Um, it's been really great, and I appreciate your reporting. Thank you. Thanks, and I think I might go have a bon me now, thanks to your <laughs> suggestion. We also spoke to a Seattle-based gig worker for their perspective on this new minimum wage law. Michelle Balzer first started working for the grocery delivery company Instacart during the pandemic. So I'm actually a licensed addiction counselor. And when I had actually just kind of taken a new job around like February or March, I think it was like February, all the agencies really kind of closed down. And so then I was just like, well, what am I going to do? I can't really just sit at home. So she began picking up a few orders and she found she really liked it. My dad was a store director of my whole childhood. So being in grocery stores was very like comfortable for me. And I have a really good memory for like products and stuff. And I have always worked customer service. So it just kind of combined everything while the pandemic was going. That's also when she became involved with the Seattle area pay up campaign, lobbying for expanded gig worker protections. Because we're in the pandemic and we're out there in the stores, we should be getting sick pay and we should be getting hazard pay. As time went on, it was really clear that the companies really aren't held to any kind of regulations or standards that typical companies are held to. And that doesn't really bode well for workers. I mean, because there's no one to talk to. I mean, they, I mean, we don't even have a phone number to call. So um, getting involved in pay up was a way to kind of maybe find solutions around that. Um, and that, for me, was a big thing. Michelle disagrees with DoorDash's criticisms of the new law, and she's skeptical of their report on its effect. She says in one week in December, before the minimum wage increase, she made $1,033 before taxes from her work on a few different delivery apps. That equates to about eleven fifty an hour, since Michelle worked 35 paid hours that week. In one week in February, she says she made about thirteen seventy one an hour although she notes that most of that work was done outside of Seattle. She also says she hasn't seen a decrease in orders since the new ordinance took effect. Overall, Michelle says she's happy with the new law, but she also said that while the minimum wage increase is helping, there are plenty of other challenges to being a gig worker. Companies are often unclear about their pay structure, she says. How much of your paycheck is mileage or added pay versus the base fee for the delivery? And she says that apps don't tell you what you're picking up in advance or whether it's going to actually fit in your car. But one of the biggest issues for her is job insecurity. One of the biggest things you will always see if you are ever in a gig worker group, whether it be on Reddit or Facebook or anything, you will see 100 million people commenting, don't ever make this a full-time job. Don't depend on this for a living. It can be taken away in a heartbeat. And I think that... The longer you do this, you kind of forget that it really can happen, that people just can wake up one day and be deactivated. And there's no recourse for it. Michelle's Instacart account was deactivated due to a customer complaint for most of January. They claimed she'd chipped their driveway, a claim she disputed. Instacart reactivated the account a few weeks later, but Michelle said the deactivation was devastating. I missed mortgage payments, car payments, bills. I mean, 
I don't have unemployment and we don't make enough to actually have an emergency fund. And so that really kind of drove home the fact that we don't exist to them. Gig companies don't really look at us as people with stories. We are just a number. We're just a driver or just a shopper. We don't have a name. There's no emotional connection there. Seattle has a new law that requires apps to be clearer about their deactivation policies, and it outlaws certain deactivations for drivers, but that doesn't take effect until 2025. Michelle plans to return to her work as an addiction counselor long-term and go back to school for a master's in social work. But she says she's going to keep delivery driving on the side. Because I love it. I really, really do. And she's grateful her gig work helped her find a new passion. In college, I always wanted to do politics. I always saw myself doing lobbyist kind of stuff. And so it's interesting that through the gig work is how I fell into that a little bit. So I definitely see myself helping to kind of improve what's going on in Seattle because it's kind of a mess. A quick note before we go, this afternoon at 2 p.m., gig workers are going to gather at Pike Place Market to show their support for the new minimum wage law. Thanks for listening to Soundside. This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday, or anytime online at KUOW.org. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.